We thank you that you've also given us your word, a word that's speaking to us. It's a, lo- it's a love letter from you to us. It's an instruction manual. It's, it's, it tells us about the future. It tells us about the past. It tells us who you are. It tells you what you've done for us and who you've made us to be. And it tells, you, tells us how to live our lives before you and with one another. And so we come to you today for instruction. But most of all, Father, we want to know you. And your word teaches us that there are things that you have in your heart for us that our eyes have not seen, that our ears have not heard, nor has it even entered into our heart all that you have prepared for those who love you. But your spirit's been given to us to reveal those things. And he searches even the depths of your heart to bring them up and to show them to us. And so we pray this morning, Father, that the precious Holy Spirit would take this living word and breathe on it into our hearts, a living word, and make it alive to us that he would speak to us into our hearts exactly what each one of us needs to hear this morning. And so, Father, may we have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to grasp and receive and embrace what you have to say to us and do for us today. In Jesus' name, amen Amen. and amen. We've been studying lately um, this idea of what it means to walk in the Spirit. And the purpose for it is this, and we'll get into more and more of what that means. What we're talking about is this. When God created you, all of us, he made us in three parts, spirit, soul, and body. Your body is the obvious part. It's the part of you that you fed this morning that you, you know, you hopefully cleaned up and put some deodorant on. It's the part of you that, you know, you are aware of that when you look in a mirror, it looks back at you. It's the, but it's not, it's not all of you. It's just one third of you. And it's the least important part of you. Because it comes out of a realm of existence. The Bible tells us there's two realms of existence. There's the natural realm, which is this physical material realm that our scientists measure with telescopes and microscopes and all kinds of other scopes that they scope us with and scope the universe with and measure with. And, 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 uh, and it's, the, it's basically anything that your five senses, one of your five senses, can detect. So if you can see it, if you can hear it, if you can feel it, touch it, or taste it, then it's of this natural material realm. And it's the realm that God created in the beginning. Chapter, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The heavens there is not where God lives. It's the spiritual atmosphere around this earth. But God created that. And then the other realm of existence the Bible teaches us is the spirit realm. That's a realm that exists, but your five senses can't detect it. So it's there, but if you can't see it, feel it, touch it, taste it, or hear it, that, and therefore it is the spirit realm. Now the big difference between the two is the spirit realm is where God exists. In fact, God is a spirit, John 4, 24. God is a spirit. And, and therefore, uh, and it is a realm of existence that's eternal. It never grows old. It doesn't have a beginning. It doesn't have an end. It, it, it is eternal, it is, it, is, it is powerful, it is life-giving. In fact, God is the source of life. So you have these two realms of existence. And, and when God created you, He combined the two together. Our body is formed of this material substance of this earth. Genesis 2 says that God formed man's body out of the dust or the substance of this earth. That's why your five senses can detect your own body. In fact, while you're sitting there right now, your body's talking to you. It's telling you you're high, tired, you're hungry, you're bored, you're asleep, you're awake, you know, you're itch, you know, you forgot to put your deodorant on or your neighbor forgot to put your... It's talking to you. Don't look around. <laughs> your body's talking to you and it talks to you through your senses. But you have a spirit man on the inside of you. And that's your real nature. That's who you really are. 
But because you're not, and it is of that spirit realm, and because it is of that spirit realm, your five senses cannot detect it. You can't feel your spirit man. I can't feel or see your spirit man unless God does something supernatural. In fact, the Bible tells us that in this room right now, there are all kinds of, not all kinds, there are many spirit beings. There are angels in this room because each one of us has at least a guardian angel. There are angels in this room. Some of you put your angels, they work hard for you. (laughs) But there may well be demonic spirits in this room which are fallen angels. But we can't see them and we can't touch them and we can't hear them unless God does something supernaturally. And, and we spend time looking at that as a background so that we've got to understand this. The spirit being in you is of that realm. And that's your real nature. So when you come to Christ, when you invite Jesus into your life, that's the part of you he changes. And we saw that when he changes that part of you, he literally joins that part of you, that spirit man. He takes your old spirit out and puts a brand new spirit into you. And that new spirit is born of God. It's born out of God. That's what makes you God's child. Just as our four children are our children because they're born out of us. They have our physical DNA in them. You have God's spiritual DNA in you, but it's in your spirit man. Now, you also have a soul. That's the third part of you. That's made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. That's basically your personality. And that part of you is the part God gave to you to bridge between your physical body and your spirit man, to bridge that gap. Now, when you came to Christ, the only part of you God changed was your nature on the inside, but it's the most critical part that needed to be changed because everything you do comes out of your nature. Just like everything a tree produces comes out of its nature. If the vine happens to be poison ivy, it produces poison ivy. If, if it happens to be a beautiful orchid, it produces the, fruit, the, the flower of an orchid. It produces out of its own nature. And so the, God had to change our nature. And we're going to see more clearly why, this morning why that was, that's so important. So we've looked at that. But here's the issue. Most of us are living our life dominated by our five senses and very little in touch with what God's done on the inside of us. We saw for several weeks in 1 Corinthians where Peter, Peter, where Paul says to the church at Corinth, he says, you know, you're walking around like car, you're carnal. Carnal doesn't just mean, doesn't mean sinful, it means dominated by your flesh, because the word carnal comes from a word carne, which has to do with the flesh of the body, meat. Chili con carne, is chili with meat. And so carnal just means you're dominated by your five natural senses. Your body is what you're the most conscious of, and that's therefore guiding you and leading you. And that's unfortunately where most Christians are. And Paul goes on to make a statement, I think it's at the end of verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 3, when you're doing that, you're acting like mere men. And we talked about the fact that that's a strange statement because we're all, well, look, we're just human. That's what's why, you know, we have weaknesses, we try to overcome things. But the Bible tells you if you've come to Christ, if you've received Christ, you're not just a human. Your body is, but the real you is not just human. You are born of God. You have God's nature in you. In fact, we're going to learn at some point, you have God's power in you, the same spirit, we'll see that today, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, not visits you when you need him, 
dwells in you 24-7. The same Spirit that raised Christ... uh, Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that you can ask or think according to the power that works in you. Your healing comes out of your uh, out of you. Your deliverance comes. Every God's put His kingdom within you, and this is where we need to renew our mind. Because when we pray, we think God's. We're asking God to drop something out of heaven on us. He already dropped it. It's in you now. Say, well, if it's in me now, how come I'm not experiencing it? Because what's between in here and coming to the outside is what's between these two ears. It's the renewing of your mind. Romans 12, 2 says, we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. The word transformed in Greek literally means to take what's on the inside and bring it to the outside so others can see it. And that process happens by renewing our mind. And the purpose for this series is to help us renew our minds together to what God's done for us. So if we're not mere men, what are we? We are God's children on the earth with God's ability and with the commission that He's given us to, to, to take the gospel into all the world. It's interesting, I told you before, Jesus told His disciples after He trained them and prepared them that they still weren't ready after He'd been raised from the dead. He says, go into Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high because the church today is powerless. We're trying to do a job that requires power without the power. But we have the power, we just don't know we have the power because we're so dominated by our natural physical senses. And there's a devil out there who knows his major, his major scheme is to keep you busy in this natural world, to keep your mind occupied by the issues of this world, to keep your body occupied by the issues of this world so you don't ever get in touch with who you are really on the inside and who's living in you on the inside because Satan's scared to death you're going to find out who you really are. Three of you know that. Okay, that's good. All right. So that's what this is all about. That's why we're doing this. So let's start in Galatians chapter 5. We covered this last week. And Galatians has talked about basically understanding how we got saved. We didn't get saved by our works. We didn't get saved because we were so good because none of us are good enough. We didn't get saved by saved means made righteous in God's eyes. Sins washed away. Be able to stand before God holy and without blame, Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Him in heavenly places, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. That's what He did for you when you received Christ. He made you holy and without blame. We spent a lot of time last year going through uh, uh, Romans chapter 1. We talked about the righteousness of God. We have been given. When you come to Christ, when you give your life to Him and receive Christ, God gives you His righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, 21. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. When you got Christ, you got His righteousness. In your nature, on the inside of you, but we have the responsibility to take the other two parts of us and bring those in line. So when Paul writes to these churches where he's addressing issues, he almost always starts out by not telling them what's wrong with what they're doing, by telling them, remind them who they are in Christ, what God has done for them. 
That's why Ephesians is this great explanation of what God's done for us because Paul's reminding them of who they are. And then somewhere in those letters in in Ephesians, it's chapter 4, he switches over and says, because of this, this is how you ought to walk. We're going to see that this morning in what we're going to go through. So what we're awakening up to is who, who we really are on the inside so that we can now begin to walk with our thinking, walk with our talking. And this is what God keeps reminding me of. We are so loose in the way we talk. We talk like the world. I'm so tired. I don't feel well. And that God's been dealing with me with what I'm going through because I've got all kinds of excuses for being tired. I've got all kinds of excuses for things. And people say, how are you doing? And my mind wants to give them a litany of things I've gone through. And then I start going through them all over again and say, God, what's going on? He says, well, just listen to what you've been talking about. You've been rehearsing for people what it feels like. Not what I've said. So I started going, I'm going to change what I say. I'm going to say in line with what God's promises are. And I found things change when you do that. Because now I'm speaking in line with what God's done on the inside of me. Instead of talking like the world talks, now to, you got to understand to do that, you're gonna, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you people feeling sorry for you. That can be a big price. The Lord spoke this to me a long time ago. He said, son, you've got to choose between being free or sympathy. You can't have both. Because if you really believe I've done for you what I've done for you, you don't need anybody's sympathy. Sympathy is a substitute for victory. It feeds our flesh. Oh, it gets attention. This is why some people aren't healed, because they don't want to be. I didn't mean to go off here, but here we are. What do you mean why I don't want to be healed? Because there's certain attention that comes with people that, that don't normally get attention now. Oh, how are you doing? And I'm getting that. And it feels good to the flesh. But I can't accept the sympathy, which I don't want. I don't want sympathy. You can't accept that because sympathy means I'm I'm losing. They don't ever pour out sympathy on the team that won the Super Bowl. Oh, we're so sorry. You won the Super Bowl. No. Their reward is the trophy. Their reward is the victory. It's the team that lost that gets the sympathy. So you want to be a winner or a loser? But you can't be a winner and have the sympathy. You can't be free and have people feeling sorry for yourself. You can't be free and have you feeling sorry for yourself. And there's a devil out there that wants you to feel sorry for yourself because he knows if you feel sorry for yourself, you're letting go of your victory. Somebody needed that this morning. <clears throat> So Galatians is about the first, is about this victory that Christ has won for us and the freedom that we have. Chapter 5 begins by saying, now, this is the freedom we've been given, but don't use your freedom for an opportunity to let your flesh run loose. So freedom and grace doesn't mean you can just let your flesh do what you want it to do. Freedom that God's given to you now gives you the ability to dominate your own flesh where you couldn't do that before. So with freedom comes responsibility. Well, that went over big. (laughs) with freedom goes responsibility getting better Mm. I don't have time to go on that anymore let's go pick up here Uh, verse 16 I say then he's talking about what God's already done for us walk in the spirit 
and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And what we talked about last time is what we've tried to do is to overcome our flesh by exerting more effort of our flesh. And God's answer is to overcome your flesh. Oh, excuse me, I forgot this one point. So what we're learning is that because of this victory that's on the inside of us, because who God's made us to be, we are overcomers. Romans 12, 8 at the end talks about it this way, we are more than conquerors. And I've used this example, it's like Rocky coming home from winning the championship, all beaten up and all, and he's going through all the training and all that stuff, and he comes home with the, with the, with the purse check, you know, and his wife says, thank you, Rocky, and she takes the check. He conquered, she's more than a conqueror. And that means that the, 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 the conqueror is the one that fought the battle and won. The one that's more than conquer receives the benefit that they didn't have to fight for. But that means we're more than conquerors. So we're learning what it is we've conquered, what God's conquered, and what He's made us conquerors of. And we're starting with the most fundamental one, which is to be a conqueror of our flesh. Because if you can't control your flesh, you can't control anything else. And so it's important that our flesh doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, doesn't mean we're ever going to be perfect, but you've got to begin to walk in the dominion over your flesh and understand you can do that if you're saved. If you can't do it, then you need to get saved and we'll take care of that today. All right, but here's how it is. It's not by trying harder, it's by walking in the Spirit and you will not fulfill, you will not fulfill the lust of your flesh. Verse 17, For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these things are contrary to one another. So your flesh is warring against your spirit, and your spirit is warring against your flesh. They're contrary to one another, so you may not do the things that you wish. Verse 18, But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The law, which is what he's talked about in the first four chapters, the law was how... Israel was told, if you want to be righteous in God's eyes, you've got to keep the law. The law consisted of the Ten Commandments and a whole series of dietary and other rules totaling 613 rules, which you had to keep perfectly your whole life in order to be righteous. Well, nobody can do that. So the purpose of the law... Paul's been explaining to them in the first four chapters is to show you that you can't do it in your own effort, that you need help to do what you can't do. And of course, that's to lead them to a Savior. And this is literally what happened to me. When I was struggling with this, I was reading my Bible in Matthew chapter 5 or 6, it is, I think it's 5, where he says, and be perfect as your heavenly Father's perfect. Literally, the words out of my mouth is, I can't do that. If that's what you require, I need somebody to save me. And then I heard my own words. And at that moment, I knew why Jesus died for me. And that's the purpose of the law. But what happens is many Christians, we get saved by grace, but we're trying to live under the law to please God and to please ourselves and to please one another. We're trying to overcome things by living under the law, and God's method of overcoming is not by living under the law. God's method of overcoming is by walking in the Spirit, and then you won't fulfill that lust of the flesh. So if we're led by the Spirit, then we're not under the law. We're going to see more clearly what that's all about. Okay. Now he talks about the works of the flesh, and we're not going to go back through all of those. And then verse 22 begins to talk about, about the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm not going to go through those, but to remind you, fruit comes out of the nature of something. 
So an orchid, well, an orange, I think, I think he used an example of an orange tree last year, uh, last week. An orange tree produces oranges because it's an orange tree. It produces it out of its nature. So God changed your nature, and in this verse, or these next two verses, are nine fruit of the Spirit. So that means if you are a Christian, those qualities are in you now. Love, joy, peace, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control is your nature. Say, how come I'm having such trouble walking in love and peace? Because you're not walking in the Spirit, you're walking in your flesh. You're walking conscious of your flesh and the flesh of people around you. And we're not walking conscious of who we really are on the inside. So when some situation rises up and that birthday kick yells at you and says, have that last piece up there, and it's talking to you, and I've got to decide, do I have enough control to eat that or not eat that thing? If I realize, wait a minute, my nature has self-control in it. I don't have to get it from outside of me. I just have to look on the inside of me and tell myself, I can control my flesh. See, what, you know, listen to, what do you say about yourself? I can't do this. Uh, there's a story I had. I don't, this is for some reason, I don't know where we're going this, today, but this is where the Spirit's leading us. I heard the testimony of a man. In fact, it was Jimmy Evans, the, the guy that did the, the man that did the, the pastor that did the uh, Marriage on the Rock seminar we did uh, uh, earlier this year um, for, on Wednesday nights. He shares this testimony that when he got saved, he was, a, he was a smoker. And he would get up and he would have his devotion time with his cup of coffee, his cigarette, and his Bible. And then God began to deal with him about the smoking and said, you know, I've called you to the ministry. That's going to be a hindrance of what I can do for you. doesn't mean you can't go to he- heaven Smoking. I love Pat, our founding pastor, Pastor Sam, used to say, just because you smoke doesn't mean you can't go to, that you have to go to hell. It just means you'll smell like you've been there. <laughs> Those of you that didn't know him, you missed something. Make sure when you get to heaven, you go say, you know, I was at FCC because you missed an opportunity. He had a bunch of those. Some you could say publicly, some you, well, anyway, won't go there. He was very real. And Jimmy Evans said, said, well, God began to deal with me about quitting smoking. He said, and the harder I tried, the more I smoked. And see, that's what the law does. Because the law relies on your own efforts, and the very nature of flesh is the more you try, the more attention you pay to it. I've taught you this principle. The more you think about something, the bigger it gets in your mind. So the harder you think about controlling your flesh, the more you're thinking about your flesh, the bigger your flesh is going to get to you. So he said to the Lord, what do I do? He said, every time you, when you get up in the morning, every time you want a cigarette, say, I'm not a smoker. I'm a non-smoker. He said, but that's not, that's, 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 I am a smoker. He says, well, if you want to still be a smoker, say you're a smoker. But I call things that be not as though they were. So call what you want to be, not what you are. So he said, I got up the next morning and he said, I had this craving for a cigarette. And, and he said, as I lit the cigarette and took my first drag, I said, I'm not a smoker. I'm not a smoker. He was renewing his mind to who he really is on the inside. He says, by the time I got to work, when the guys went for their coffee break, together, he says, I didn't want a cigarette. And the temptation was there, and he, and he said, so I announced to them, I'm sorry, I'm not a smoker. They said, well, you smoked yesterday. He said, I'm not a smoker. And what happened was by making that change in his will, the desire left. 
because they identified with who he was on the inside, not with who he was on the outside. Part of your nature, your nature is self-control. All right, praise God. Well, however long it takes us to go through this, this is where freedom comes from. Now let's go down to verse um, 24. And those who are Christ's, how many of you are Christ? Well, we'll have an altar call later on for the rest of you. (laughs) Whoa, we got revival breaking out. Some people are getting saved while I'm speaking. (laughs) And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's what happened. Your flesh was overcome when you got saved. Then how come I'm having such trouble with it? If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. What he's talking about there, we're going to see in just a minute, said it again somewhere else. We've been made alive by the Spirit. That's what the first part of that says. So if we've been made alive unto God by the Spirit, let us walk in that Spirit who made us alive. And by walking in it, what we mean is walk conscious of Him. Walk aware of Him. And this is a lifelong task to learn to do it. It requires you working on it every day. But the more you work on it, the more conscious you become. We're going to show you how to do this. The more aware you become of the Holy Spirit inside of you, the more aware of you become of the spirit man that you are on the inside of you, the more aware you become of Him, the more you begin to walk in who He is. That's what this means. It doesn't mean walking so... walking in the Spirit. Ah. No, it just means living your life more conscious of the Spirit man on the inside of you than you are of the body that he lives or she lives in. And that may seem obviously overwhelming to you right now. That's because you spend so much time paying attention to your body and so little time paying attention to your spirit. We can tell that because in, you know, when, 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 you, when we have a, a time of prayer and if it goes past two minutes... You know, one of the ways to know when you're in the Spirit is you lose all sense of time. If you're in worship, or you're in prayer, and you just lose it, you just got, what you did is you, because time is in this realm out here. This realm inside of you is timeless. All right. So right, what I want to do right now, the whole purpose of, is, is to make us sensitive to this difference between the outer man and the inner man, between the natural realm and the spirit realm because it's hard to walk in that spirit realm, in contact with that spirit realm, if we're not aware of it and the difference. So that's what the purpose of this. Okay, now, we're going to go over to, uh, we're going to go over to uh, Romans chapter uh, 8. And this is about as far as we got last week. But it's worth the, the long review, because this is, I know sometimes you, you get frustrated, he's reviewing the same thing over and over and over again, over again, over and over. But faith comes by, Hearing, not having heard. And if we, if we got this the first time, we wouldn't have to go over it again. So we're not trying to get someplace within a certain period of time. We're trying to get this inside of us. Now, I said with you last week, Romans chapter 1 up through Romans chapter 3 tells us, you can leave that up there, tells us you know, that, that how messed up we all are and that we all need a Savior. 
Romans chapter 4 and chapter 5 talks about the gift of salvation that God has given to us in Christ. What we could not do ourselves, God did for us in Christ. And it's received by faith. It's not received by anything we do. Faith is simply believing the gift that's been given to us is ours enough to embrace it and say, I'll take it home with me, thank you. So, that's what chapters 1 through 5 talk about. Chapter 6 says, well, if we've been saved by grace... That means some people are saying, well, therefore, just let my flesh run loose. You know, if, if, if where sin abounds, grace does more abound, then let's just sin the more so grace can more abound. He says, then you don't understand what we're talking about here. Because Romans chapter 6, which I used to be afraid to read because it's talking about overcoming sin until I realized it's talking about the victory we have that God's already overcome the sin in our life and we can therefore walk it out. Then chapter 7 talks about Paul's effort to walk that victory out by his own effort. And I made the comment that in chapter 7, you'll see Paul refers to I, his first personal pronoun, all over the place. I tried to do this, but it didn't work. The very things I wanted to do, well, I want to just, they're not going to have it up there, but I just want to read just a little bit of this, just to to remind, no, it's in here, Romans chapter 7, go to verse 22. But before that, so you can put that up there, but before that Paul says this, so they won't have this, but that's okay. Verse 15 says, what I'm doing I don't understand. For what I, listen to how many times I or you or me is in here. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, I do not practice. What I hate to do, I do. Verse 15, it's one, two, three, four, five, six times I am in that one verse. Verse 16, If then what I will not to do, I agree with the law that is good. Verse 17, But now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Verse 18, I know that in me, is my flesh, nothing good dwells. What Paul's talking about here is, is the more I tried to overcome my flesh, the things inside of me that I knew were right to do, the harder I tried to do them, the more I did what was wrong. The more I tried not to do what was wrong, the more I did what was wrong. The more I tried to do what was right, the less I did it. Is Paul the only one that had that experience? We all have had that experience if we're honest. So this is the description of Paul's effort to live out this righteousness, to live out this victory by his own effort. And he comes down to verse 22, which leads us into where we're going. For I delight, he says, I discovered this. I delight in the law of God according to my inward man. My inward man wants to do what's pleasing to God. But I see another law in my members, that's my flesh, warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law which is in my members. In other words, my flesh dominates me. I'm saved. God's Spirit lives in me. But I'm still dominated and controlled by my flesh. Why? Because I'm the one that's been trying to overcome it. And he comes to this frustration, which where he becomes very real. Verse 24. Oh, wretched man, that I, I doubt that Paul was sitting in his study, writing as a conclusion of this. Oh, wretched man that I am. No, I believe Paul's crying out of his frustration. Ever got to that place? Ah! Sorry, radio people. 
Ah! I wish I could just kill us. Yes, it's not what I want to do. That's where Paul, Paul, the apostle, was at that place. Because it's not who you are. You can't do it in your flesh. Paul couldn't. I'm going to say something Jesus couldn't. Ooh. Jesus walked in the Spirit. He didn't walk in His flesh. Jesus walked in the Spirit. Oh, some of you are struggling with that. All right. Just don't tune me out. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Here comes the answer. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I serve the law of God, but with the flesh of law of sin. That's where I am. Now we go into chapter 8. This is the Emancipation Proclamation. Because when Paul wrote this letter, he didn't stop and say, tomorrow I'll come back and write chapter 8. This is the answer to chapter 7. There is therefore, which ties back to what he just said, now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation. That's a legal judgment for our sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now New King James adds, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now there are many translations that don't have that in there, but it's later on. We're going to explain, that's what we're talking about. Walking the flesh, walking the Spirit, not in the flesh. He's not saying if you walk in the flesh, you're condemned. What he's talking about here is the law was based on what you're... Well, I'm going to go on. It becomes very clear what he says. Let's go on. Verse 2. This is one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Now when Paul writes about the law here, it's very important to understand because you may read commentaries that say by the law what he's referring to is some principle of operation. I don't believe so because the whole letter from chapter 1 through chapter 7 is all about not trusting in the law and trusting in the gift of grace. So why would Paul suddenly talk about the law in some other term? What he's saying here, that the, the law here refers to the method of being made right in God's eyes. Anybody follow me on that? So if we can just use that as what he means by law. Because what we've already seen in chapters 1 through 3 is the law, the, the law of the Old Testament led to sin and death. The more, because it, we're going to see, it relied on my flesh. So, but, the, but the law, the way of being made right, the, the, the method that God designed of being made right in His sight that comes through the Spirit of Christ has set me free from the man, way of being made right that came by completing the law. Amen. Okay? And we're going to see why. Verse 3. This is so important. For what the law could not do. Why? In that it was weak through the flesh. Now let's stop there a second. This is worth spending time in. The law of the Old Testament, those 613 rules, were based on your ability to carry them out. Just take the first Ten Commandments. They're based on your ability. God didn't say, try hard 
to see me as your, as, 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 the, as your God. Try hard not to commit adultery. He didn't say try hard not to steal. Try hard. He says thou shalt not ever do these things. And he didn't, he didn't tell us how to not do them. He just said don't. Because the law told us what to do or not, told them what to do or not do, but didn't give them the ability to overcome it because it re- the law relied on the flesh to carry it out, flesh being my own effort. I heard one preacher put it this way. It's great. He says, the law is like looking in a mirror and finding that your hair is messed up in the morning. The mirror doesn't give you the ability to straighten your hair out. It just shows you what's wrong doesn't it? You don't look in the mirror and say, mirror, mirror on the wall, please straighten that hair out because it's a mess. You look and say, oh my Lord, Lord I got some work to do this morning. So the law showed you what's wrong with you but didn't give you the ability to change it because the purpose of the law was to show you you couldn't do it in yourself. And here's why. Ever since the fall of man... What, what caused Adam and Eve to, to... What was their temptation? What was the fall? To take control of their own lives and take the, their own lives in their own hands and use God as a resource to help them do what they think they ought to do. And that's what we've done so often. We want God in our life, but He's a resource, not God. So that we can carry our lives out and stay in, in charge or in control of our own lives. So now we're saved. We're going to heaven but our flesh still wants to be in control. Our mind still is is sided up with our flesh and that together they want to be in control so that we make the final decisions of what we're going to do. I know God's telling me to do this, but I'm going to decide. I know the Bible talks about tithing, but I'm going to decide whether I want to do that or not. I know the Bible talks about doing this or not doing that, but I decide whether I'm going to do that. I'm sitting on the throne of my... It's flesh. It's flesh. And so the law relied upon that. It relied upon my own effort. And so when it says uh, what the law could not do, what the law couldn't do for me because it relied on my flesh to do it, and my flesh was too weak to live out the law 24-7. So what the law could not do for me, look, this is the good good news. God did. What the law could not do for me, not because there was something wrong with the law, because Paul goes on to explain it. There was nothing wrong with the law. The law was holy and righteous and good. What was wrong with the law is the law relied on my efforts to accomplish it, and I'm too weak. And God's grace is what the law could not do for me because it relied on, this is the essence of it, the law relied on me to do it. God did for me. What the law was trying to do for me to make me righteous, God did for me. How did He do it? By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now, I don't have time to get into a lot of detail, but when it says in the li- it's not in the likeness of flesh, because it was flesh. He wore flesh. It was in the likeness of sinful flesh. And very quickly, here's the difference. When you and I were born, we inherited flesh that wanted to do wrong. Jesus' flesh, Jesus' flesh came from Mary, but His Spirit came from God. 
So Jesus was born with a flesh that did not have, it had the capacity to sin, but it didn't have the bent to sin. It's kind of like when you buy a new car, you drive it out of the showroom, and the wheels are aligned the way the manufacturer intended them. So you can go down the highway, I don't recommend this, you can take your hands off the wheel, and as long as the road is fairly level, it'll track straight. But you drive it through a New England winter, and the wheels have gotten out of alignment. So you can drive it, but you get it out on the highway, and you take your hands off of that, and it's going to go one way or the other. Why? Because the wheels are bent one way or the other now. Okay? And, and, and you and I were born with flesh that was out of alignment. It wanted to go into the ditch on the right. It wanted, so when you come to Christ, the spirit, God's Spirit's put in you, and you've now got power steering. Some of you were... Some of you are, 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 you know, very few of us are old enough to remember when the cars didn't have power steering and how hard that was to turn that wheel. That's what it's like to keep your flesh on track by your own effort. But when you've got the Spirit of God inside of you, you've got power steering. You can just, but you've got to just choose to steer it, but the power's there to back you up when you steer it. Oh, Lord. Okay. So he came, put it back up. Just keep it up there. It, that's what the likeness of sin. So he had his sin, had, his flesh had the capacity to sin, but he didn't have the tendency to sin. On account of sin, that's why God sent us. He condemned sin in the flesh. When I go through this myself, I recite it this way: He condemned my sin in His flesh. He condemned my sin in His flesh, because sin has to be condemned. That's why verse 8, 1 says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the condemnation for my sin was poured out on Him. And His righteousness was given to me. Verse 4. So that the righteous requirement of the law may be fulfilled in us. So God took the penalty, the judgment, the condemnation for your sin and my sin and poured it out on His sinless Son so that His righteousness might be given to us. Because He couldn't give us His righteousness if our sin hadn't been paid for. There's a progression here. He had to take our sin on Himself so it could be paid for so that now He could legally give us His righteousness. He gave us His righteousness so we could become His sons and daughters of the living God. That's the ultimate thing. Okay. And this has been done for those who walk according to the flesh, but not according to the Spirit. Does that mean that if I don't walk in the Spirit today, then my sins aren't paid for? Well, that can't be, because the whole first seven chapters are talking about how we're saved by grace, not by our works. What he's talking about is what did you trust in to get saved? If you're trusting in the works of your flesh, for you're standing before God, then you're not trusting in the sacrifice that Christ made for you. But when you're trusting in the work of the Spirit in you, then you're receiving and walking in the gift of righteousness that God's given to you. Everybody follow me so far? It'll get some of it. Okay, all right. Verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. He's talking about here trying to live a righteous life in God, like Romans 7, trying to live before God by proving I'm righteous by how well I live today. 
Lord, I pray, oh, this is Sunday, I brought my tithes. That's, a, that's one point. I prayed this morning when I get up. That's two. Lord, I was nice to my wife. That's three. Wow, I'm doing well. I know I got mad at the guy on the road and they're coming down. That's one check mark demerit off. But I'm ahead three to one. Now that's kind of funny, but we think in those terms. And we think of those terms when it comes to our standing before God. And when we do that, we're walking in the flesh. We're trusting in our flesh for our standing before God. And as a result, we have trouble receiving the grace God's given to us. It doesn't stop God from loving us. Nothing you can do can ever change God from loving you. It doesn't stop God giving you His grace. It stops us from receiving and walking in the freedom of that. So what, the more we look at, the more we look at ourselves and judge how I stand before God is based on the things I do or don't do, we're looking at our flesh. And the more we look at our flesh, the more we're dominated by our flesh. And what we're going to go on to see, look at this, it's very clear here. For those who live according to the flesh, that means are trusting in their own effort for God to love them. How do we do that? By setting our minds on the things of the flesh. I prayed this morning. I gave this morning. I was kind to the little old lady crossing the street. I did this. You know, I said whatever. I did. All, it's what I did, Paul. I did this. I did this. I did this. That's setting our mind on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit or trusting in the work of the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Because walking in the Spirit, we're learning, is setting your minds on the Spirit. Your spirit, man, and the Holy Spirit inside of you is learning to live your life with your eyes, your mind, your focus on who's on the inside of you. And when you're looking at how I, what I did, I did this, I didn't do this, I, did, I paid my tithes, I didn't do this, you're looking at what you've done on the outside which is what the law was. And so when you're doing that, you're not walking in the Spirit. You're not living according to the Spirit it's because you're setting your eyes on the things of the flesh. Now look at the next verse. For to be carnally minded, that's what we're learning here, for me to keep my eyes on the flesh, on who I am according to the flesh, whether I'm a good person according to the flesh, whether I've been, you know, because we'll sit in here and we evaluate ourselves compared to one another. During the world worship, you know, if your eyes really aren't on the Lord, it's like, boy, I'm not like that person in front of me. Every Sunday I get so irritated at them. They're just so much in the Spirit and I'm in here, I don't even know what's going on and, you know, we get angry. And it's like, you have no idea what's going on inside of them, first of all. Okay? But that's the flesh. We're looking at people, wow, that person is spiritual. You have no idea. It's just, but then we do it with ourselves. Well, I'm not like them. Or the other way, <laughs> I'm not a sinner like they are. Wow, you know. I'll tell you, I told you the story. I got to tell you quickly one time years ago. We were in, out in Bible school and we were in like one of our connect groups that our church had and we were having this time of worship. Just probably seven or eight of us singing around. Somebody had a guitar. It was back in the, those days, and, you know. And, um, and this lady next to me, I mean, she was so far off key. Oh, it was terrible. And I'm there, you know, singing along to the Lord, and I'm, but I'm thinking, God, that must sound terrible to you. And I heard as clearly as I've heard anything. Her voice is beautiful to me. Because she's singing out of her heart of love towards me. And I start going like this. He says, now let's talk about you. (laughs) Why are you focused on her? See, that's flesh. 
setting my mind on the things of the flesh. Because the carnal mind, verse 7, oh, this, it, it, verse 6, to be carnally minded is death. That doesn't mean you're going to hell. It's, it's your living death, your living f- failure. But to be spiritual minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind, the mindset on the flesh, is at enmity against God. For it's not subject to the law of God, nor indeed it can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The harder you try, you can't please Him by your efforts. You cannot please God by your efforts. Because you know what's going to happen? If you succeed, you're going to say, Good morning, Lord! Didn't I do just a great job yesterday? And I dreamed about you during the night? God says about Himself, No flesh shall glory in my presence. Gotta move on. So those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Doesn't mean God doesn't love you. We're talking about what you do. Look at verse 9. This is what makes it clear. But you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you now. So he's been talking about people who, instead of trusting in this, what God's done for them in Christ, are trusting in their own efforts. You're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. For if, if Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's not his. What makes you God's is the Spirit of God in you. But we're talking about not whether you belong to him, we're talking about whether you're walking in the Spirit who's in you. Whether you're walking in who you are, we're not talking about whether you're going to heaven or not. That's not what this is about. That's what he's saying here. Don't you understand? If the Spirit of God's in you, you are his. Verse 10. If Christ is in you, then the body's dead because of sin. It's going to die because you can't get the sin out of your body. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. The Spirit that's been put in you is alive because it has my righteousness in it. Verse 11, it's going to get better. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, we're talking about victory and overcoming. If the Spirit of Him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, if the Spirit of Him, there's only one, that's the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, think about that. He was dead. Some people don't like that, but it's what it said. He was spiritually dead. People have trouble with that until they understand to be spiritually dead means separated from God who's life. It doesn't mean you don't exist. If He didn't die spiritually, then we're still dead spiritually because He took our place to redeem, give us back what He had. If the Spirit of Him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He raised Him from the dead in the place of death. We've talked about that. He raised Him from the dead while He was dead. In hell, He raised Him from the dead. And it was the Spirit of God that did that. There's nothing more impossible, well, it's one thing, than to take something that's dead and breathe life into it. And it was the Holy Spirit that did that. 
Everybody agree with that? All right. But that spirit who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through this spirit who dwells in you. I believe that's talking about the resurrection, but I don't think it's limited to the resurrection. Because I'm experiencing this morning. I feel His life in me right now. I didn't feel it when I got up this morning. And that was with a big cup of coffee. I still didn't feel that life in me. We're going to have to close in a second. But I remember time after time after time, on a Wednesday night, when we lived an hour away from here and I was practicing law, coming out of court or coming out of the office, I'd look at my watch and there's just enough time to get home, pick my family up and get here. I'll throw something in my stomach on the way. And I get home, and I just driven an hour down. And I think, oh, it would feel so good just to sit in my living room with the book. It just, it's, but I developed a habit. We, as a family, this is why habits are so important, good ones. The habit of coming to church. And we would do what Pastor Sam would talk about when you don't want to do something. drag yourself. Never once did I walk in the back door of this church tired like that, sometimes discouraged, and not leave here full of life and joy and peace. Never once. Why? Why? Because there's such an atmosphere of peace in here. There is. No. Because relating to one another, talking with one another, the worship, the Word, stirred up in me that spirit of life that was in me all day long. And I've shared with you some stories of learning throughout my day. This is, this is what it means to walk in spirit, is to learn to walk through your day in touch with the Spirit of God on the inside of you. So that you can sometimes get direction. Don't go there. Don't go there. Don't go there. Get answers to things. I've told you things that He did for me in trials, in courtroom, things He's done for me. He wants to do for you little things because it matters to Him about you. This is why Paul, this is why Peter says, he says, be, he says, he says don't be anxious, don't worry. Cast your care over on the Lord because He cares for you. That literally says in the Greek, because it matters to Him concerning you. Every little thing in your life matters to Him. Matters to Him. Because you're His child. Because you're His child. But the answer is to, to, what, to, to the victory that He has for you is in the Spirit on the inside of you to lead you. We're going to have to stop here. We'll pick, up, we'll pick you up here next time because there's so much in here that we need to see. Let's pray. Father, we thank You today. We, you have made us to be your sons and daughters, children of the living God. And Father, we've lived so far below the privileges, so far below the blessings, so far below the victory that you have provided for us in Christ. And I, I believe with all my heart you're not upset, you're not angry, you're not disappointed. 
you're trying to help us to come to a realization of what it is you've done for us in Christ and who it is you've made us to be. Because there's so much at stake for our own lives, for our own families, and for this world that's around us. Father, we're living in a world that's so dark right now and it gets, seems to get darker almost by the hour. We're living in a world that can be, seem very, very scary, and very, very threatening. And your answer for the church is not to be afraid and to hide, but your answer is to walk in the victory, but we cannot do this, Father, in our flesh. We cannot do it with our programs. We cannot do it with our effort. The way you provided for this is by the power and demonstration of your Spirit. But we must first of all know him in our own lives before we can truly walk in his victory in ministering to others. So, Father, I pray for everyone here this morning. Whatever it is they may be going through, whatever it is in their flesh, whatever it is in their life that may be holding them back, that you would begin to open our eyes to see the hope of your calling for our life, of who it is that lives inside of us, of who we truly are in Christ. And help us to learn to set our eyes on the things of the Spirit and not on the things of our flesh. Only you can do that in us. But we call upon you. We give you permission. We ask you to do this in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for in advance. In Jesus' name, amen.